0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Uh, the text for our sermon today is from our epistle lesson in Romans chapter 6. And so, it teaches that if you love something in this life, it will be worth some labor. For example, if a young man loves a woman, he will work hard to prove his love for that woman. And if that woman is duped into marrying that man, he will work to show his love by caring for her and providing for her. He will work to maintain and nurture his marriage. He will delight in the hard work of raising a family with the woman he loves And this is a wholesome thing. The labor invested in that wholesome thing usually produces good fruit. Children, contentment, happiness, and things like this. To live this sort of life, a man must develop some virtues in himself. The virtues of self-discipline and self-sacrifice for the sake of the ones he loves. And he will strive to emulate Christ in how he loves his family. However, there are some less wholesome things in this life that people love and labor for. For example, if a person is addicted to drugs, he will labor terribly for his next fix. He will willingly humiliate and debase himself. He will steal, he will hurt people, and he will neglect his loved ones. He will do anything to get more of what he desires, and this will bear terrible fruit. It will destroy his body. It will warp his mind. It will wear away at his soul. And his only priority will be that next fleeting moment of pleasure that he receives from his drug. He will be driven into himself, and it will make true love nearly impossible. This unwholesome love produces bad fruit. And what makes this so terribly interesting is that love and labor usually are binding upon a person. The father and the husband is bound to service for his family. But the addict, he's stuck with his addiction. You could say that both are held captive by what they love. Yet one is free, and the other is a slave. St. Paul takes this observation today in Romans 6 and sees where it functions most clearly, and that is in the gospel of Christ. And St. Paul is very clear in saying that we are all slaves to something. We are the slaves to sin, or we are slaves to righteousness. We are either bound by our passions or we are bound to the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ Jesus alone. There's no middle ground in all of this. You belong to those things that captivate you. According to your flesh, you are bound to your passions. We are bound to those things that bring pleasure to our bodies or to our egos. And according to our flesh, we worship our flesh. According to the Spirit, we are bound to Christ and His righteousness. And we see this working in us all the time. Uh, For example, we want to lose weight and we want to have healthy bodies, right? That's a good goal. It's worthy of our time and our effort. But then someone sets a donut in front of us and that moment of pleasure supersedes all of our good intentions. And we eat the donut. And not only that, after tapping into that little appetite, what do we do? We eat a second donut right? And perhaps gluttony is not your issue. You don't have a problem with donuts, but maybe it's materialism. And so you have to have the next bigger and better thing, the bigger TV, a better car, nicer clothes. And every time you get your hands on a little bit of extra cash, we blow it immediately on whatever we want. It makes us feel good to have a new thing. And that is until we get tired of it and desperately want that other next new thing. And we sanctify reckless spending by saying, well, I'm investing in myself. Right? Perhaps it's not materialism, but maybe it's lust. Or maybe it's addiction to the internet. Maybe it's feeling superior over other people on social media. Maybe it's an obsession with sports, or obsession with politics, or escapism through entertainment. These things all have the potential to captivate our hearts. Many people devote their entire lives, all their focus, all their attention, all their labor and their love to these things. We can easily waste our lives away in these vain pursuits. And the sad thing is is that these things bear no good in our lives except maybe a few moments of fleeting pleasure accompanied by a load of problems. They help you escape life, but they do not heal your life. And that is because these things ultimately can lead to death. This is what St. Paul is talking about in our epistle lesson today, as he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to li- uh, righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The reason that these things lead to death is that they become our gods. Or maybe more accurately, they become the worship of our true idol, me. Me. This is what all of this really amounts to. It is binding ourselves to our primeful, primal and sinful passions. I do what I do because it pleases me. I'm out to serve myself. I can try to justify this in any way in the want, but in the end, it's all about pleasing myself. And very quickly, we can become enslaved to that Pleasure. As Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is slaves of sin. So the so-called freedom of loving myself, the so-called freedom of self-love, is slavery. And this is the way that has been since the fall. In our Old Testament lesson today, we heard about the paradise that God had placed Adam and Eve in. Uh, there was only one command. You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In regard to everything else, Adam and Eve were completely free. They could eat from any tree that was in the garden. They were not captivated by a sinful drive toward pleasure. Everything was a pleasure for them. The work of the garden was not a burden. Their marriage was filled with perfect, sacrificial, and caring love. Nor was the love that Adam and he were called to through marriage difficult. It came naturally to our first parents. This work, this freedom, was a good thing. Yet there was this one thing that we we're told not to do. And that word of law from God came with a dire warning, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the true cost of disobedience to God. It's death. And this is what it earns us, and this is why we die. See, we see with Adam and Eve that they were tempted to eat of the fruit. And how the devil tempted them was key. It is the same two tactics he uses today. He denied that sin would kill them, and he promised that it would make them like God. He says, you will not surely die For God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So much sin is committed based on these two lies. Oh, just a taste. It won't hurt. Everything will be fine. I deserve it. Why is God trying to keep this good thing from me? Doesn't he want me to be free and to be happy? Isn't that what is important? My happiness, after all? I'm going to do it. Now think of this in terms of what that young woman is being told as she's sitting in an abortion clinic. Or think of this in terms of that confused young man who is being told he's more of a girl than a boy, and a little bit of medication and surgery can, can fix that in him. Or maybe it's the wife who's had just another stupid argument with her stupid husband and just cannot stand another minute with her husband and those nagging, terrible kids. Here we have people standing at the foot of the tree, and the fruit dangling in front of them. And they're being told, you deserve it. You can have what you want. You can be free. It won't hurt you. Just abort the baby. Just mutilate your body. Just abandon your family. You can be happy. You can be your own little God. The world will tell them how brave they are. They will be convinced that they did the right thing, even as their lives are crumbling around them. That is slavery. As one is driven to their destruction and being told all the way along, hey, you're doing a good thing. But our God is merciful. He did not leave Adam and Eve to their death, nor does He leave us. He frees us from this bondage to sin. Our old masters are cruel. They are driving us hard into hell. In order to free us from them, what does our Lord do but destroy them? He puts an end to our sin by putting our sin to death. As Christ withstands and defeats the wicked temptations of the devil, he is the perfectly obedient servant of the righteousness of God. As Jesus says, I came from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And his father affirms this statement that Jesus makes at his baptism and his transfiguration. The father from heaven says, behold, my son, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is perfectly pleasing to his Father. But man's disobedience is not pleasing to God. It is rebellion against God and his order and his work and his desire for his creation. From Adam to the present day, sin put men at odds with God. And so there had to be a man like Adam One who would come and redeem us from Adam's fall. That's why it says in Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned, death has reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. For if because of one man's sin, death reigned throughout that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam sinned, all sin after him. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all mankind. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And so while sin is a curse that destroys and kills, it breaks our bodies, it breaks our minds, it destroys our souls, righteousness is a gift of God that is given for the sake of Jesus that brings life. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He dies the death of sinners. The true death of sinners is not just the destruction of our bodies, but it's the wrath of God poured out on body and soul. And this is what Christ bears for us. As he is hung upon the cross, as he's hung upon and bears the curse of sin, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged upon a tree. In 2 Corinthians it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we're redeemed from the curse that is inherited from our forefather Adam. As we are all conceived and born sinful, and as that sin leads to death, our Lord Christ bears that death for us. All of the vision and enmity And warfare that our sin causes between God and man is poured out on that one man, Jesus Christ, as he dies on the cross for you and for me. Your sins are forgiven you. What a wonderful promise this is. As God makes sinners righteousness, even as sin would captivate us, even as sin would rule over us to our own destruction, what does God do? He rescues us. He frees us from the curse of sin that leads to death. And he freely gives us the righteousness of Christ, which leads to life. And that means that you do not belong to your sin. You are freed from it. You do not have to live under such a burden and a curse any longer. You can walk away. You can strive and wrestle against it. And when your sinful flesh shows its ugliness, you are free to flee from it. Because it doesn't own you. It does not captivate your heart. That darkened and ugly heart that we have, that lust after every sin a person could ever imagine is being put to death. And God is making something new in you. As King David prays in Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. With a willing spirit. You see, the gospel means that Jesus has ownership of you. You are not a slave to your sin. You are a slave in a possession of God. You are freed from the cruel master, and you are given over to the master who loves you. And in our relationship with our new master, all things flow from his love. His love is the beginning and the end of all things. And while our old master, with our old master, all things began and ended with our sinful desire, with this new master, all things rest upon the love that drives Christ from his throne in heaven so that he can take on our flesh and die upon the cross. It is that cross that now drives us. It is your life. It makes you into something new as the old sinner has been put to an end and the baptized child of god lives and breathes and endures because daily the forgiveness of sins is applied to you daily by the work and the power of the holy spirit you can confidently say jesus died for me my sins are forgiven so that those deadly sins that are continually plaguing your life they are brought to nothing because they are nothing before god this means you are free to resist them your flesh has no mastery over you of course your sinful flesh isn't going to go down without a fight you will be tempted You will fail to do what you ought to do, and you will suffer the effects of sin in this broken and sinful world. Your Christian faith may even make that suffering be felt more acutely. Yet even as you suffer temptation, even as you fail to be righteous like Christ, you are free. Because you still do not belong to those sins. You belong to Jesus. And you are free to call your sin what it is. God has opened your eyes to see your sins destructful, a destructive and terrible fruit. And by the grace of God, you know that the wages of sin is death. And that means you are free to confess those to your God and your Father. You are free to confidently approach the throne of grace saying, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Knowing that mercy is exactly what you will receive from the hand of your loving God. As the scriptures teach us, as they say, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The fruit of this life of faith is life. As we read today, as the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this life bears fruit in another way. As we have the indwelling Spirit of God, the old sinner daily dies. And the fruit of sin that leads to death are overcome by the fruit of the Spirit. As St. Paul says in Galatians, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion And desire see the old sinner within you has been crucified with christ you are no longer a slave to your sinful nature but you are free to rebel against your sinful nature fight it strive against it in every way discipline your life and yourself so that you are not mastered by it flee when you are tempted avoid those things that cause you to stumble and fall into temptation pray Read the scriptures, come to church, confess your sins to God, receive mercy freely and abundantly from the hand of Jesus. This is what conquers sin. It is when it is brought to nothing through the forgiveness that is won for you from the cross of Christ. And that gift of the cross is continually applied to you through your baptism, through communion, through the absolution, through the consolation of the Christians who stand around you. Jesus has promised to be present in these things, and he is here out of love for you, saying, you do not belong to this any longer, but you belong to me. He's the one who holds your heart captive. He is your master, and you do belong to him. This is what it means to have the righteousness of God. and is to be forgiven of your sins. It is living by faith in Jesus who has died for you. And this one who holds us captive, possesses us, and keeps us as a treasured and beloved child. And he is worthy of our worship, our praise, and our denial of self. He has called us out from the bondage to sin and to the freedom of eternal life. And he has called us from a life that follows after sin and resists the will of God to a new and better life that resists sin and rejoices in the will of God. Our new life is a gift that is received by faith. And our calling in that life is to stand firm against the evil that would reclaim us and draw us back into the slavery that leads to death. We thank God that he is merciful, that he reclaims us from our cruel and old masters. And we pray, merciful God, help us to flee from the temptations of the evil one and to deny ourselves the fruits that lead to death, whether we ask you to keep us graciously and steadfastly in faith as we rejoice in the gift of life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. (coughs)